Hi, so I thought we'd do a little twofer, uh, mainly because it expands on the previous thing that I mentioned. So we're just talking about this, and I was just mentioning that within Buddhism, there's this idea that um, if someone doesn't understand uh, what they're doing, then it's not as bad as someone uh, who knows they're doing wrong and still does it. This idea of, uh, you know, making an apology, right? It's not, it's not as simple uh, as we might think, right? So you've transgressed, you've apologized, meaning you understand what you've done. And yet, if you transgress again, it's so much worse. So what I was talking to the wife is, I couldn't remember the exact quote. I don't think I got it right. I went and looked, and I found some that essentially say it, but not direct. And I, so I guess I mis, mistranslated or misphrased. Again, in the Greek, it's kind of cool because I'm going to read some quotes. And there's a section that's really quite interesting. And I just said that when you turn your back on any believers, right, someone in need, that you turn your back on Christ or you turn your back on God, right? This idea, like in Buddhism, that uh, once you realize the truth of compassion and ego and, and impermanence, that to transgress against these, these truths or these understandings is much worse, right? Willful ignorance versus just simple ignorance. So what I did is I went online looking for where I might have gotten that from, right? But it's all over. I mean, it could be a number of different uh, quotes. But in so doing, I came across something that, again, I'm going to read it verbatim, but you could take out any reference to Lord or God or you just put in Lord Buddha or something like that, uh, or uh, Vishnu or uh, Shiva, uh, or even Confucius uh, or Lao Tzu. So, uh, this is Romans 11, contemporary English. I apologize for this. Um, uh, it opens, um, I am, am I saying that God has turned his back on his people? No, certainly not. I am one of the people of Israel. I, myself, am a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. Again, this is important because Abraham is who um, God came to to preach this idea of monotheism, but more importantly, um, this idea of being a better person, right? This is, I've mentioned koinonia before, this idea of a communion between God and man and fellow men, right? That we're all connected. This is where kenosis comes in. Uh, kenosis is to empty oneself and to be filled with, well, usually it's to be filled with the Spirit of Christ. Or, but remember what this is teaching. Right, so kenosis is to empty oneself of being a selfish, you know, jerk, and to fill oneself with being the best you possibly can. It's that sattva, sattva, the bodhi sattva. But the sattva is to be the best uh, version of a human you can be. So again, Romans eleven, it goes on and says, "I am one of the people of Israel, and I myself am a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin." God did not turn his back on his chosen people. Again, these are the believers. Don't you remember reading in the scriptures how Elijah complained to God about the people of Israel? He said, Lord, they killed your prophets and destroyed your altars. I am the only one left, and now they want to kill me. But the Lord told Elijah, I still have 7,000 followers 
who have not worshipped Baal. So what that means, actually, it's it's the the worshippers of Baal would be like a pagan idolatry. Uh, you know, anyone following the Baal might have been, uh, you know, a version that came down, from, neither here nor there. <clears throat> so what he's saying is you have people who are still in this camp of doubt, right? They're They're not... Believers in paganism or deniers of the body, as Nietzsche would say, or uh, hedonists, right? But they're not in the camp of understanding that there's something more. They're not in the meta camp, as it were, right? So he says, I still have 7,000 followers that are still yet to awaken to this truth, right? They're not followers, but they're not disbelievers. So he goes on and says, it is the same way now. God was kind to the people of Israel, and so a few of them are still his followers. This happened because of God's undeserved kindness, and not because of anything they have done. It could not have happened except for God's kindness. This means that only a chosen few of the people of Israel found what all of them were searching for. The rest of them were stubborn, just as the scriptures say. God made them so stupid that their eyes are blind, and their ears are still deaf, right? This is the ignorant, right? They don't, or they're unable, right? Like I've mentioned before, that Buddha had to be um, uh, uh, convinced by two gods to teach, uh, mainly because he didn't think we would listen or hear because of our selfishness and our and our attachment to Baal, as it would, as it were, right? So. There is a difference between uh, believers, those not yet believers, and deniers, as it were, right? So it goes on and says, Then David said, Turn their meals, turn their meals into bait for a trap, so that they will stumble and be given what they deserve. Blindfold their eyes, don't let them see. Bend their backs beneath a burden that will never be lifted. I love this, in a sense, because... It's a Stoic virtue or uh, Nietzsche's eternal recurrence or um, uh, Buddha's Madhyamaka, this middle way, um, Kipling's uh, If, right? Treat triumph and disaster. Uh, but the real teaching here goes down to impermanence, this idea that if you treat good and bad as the imposters that they are, you will actually appreciate the good more and won't be as, you know, sad about uh, experiencing the bad, because the bad can be used to reinforce your appreciation for the good, right? So again, this is not smiting these, it's uh, give them a little more challenge, and maybe they'll come around and realize there is more to life. And it goes on, do I mean that the people of Israel fell, never to get up again? Certainly not. Their failure made it possible for the Gentiles to be saved. And this will make the people of Israel jealous. So he's talking about the people of Israel have fallen from their devotion, their commitment. And the Gentiles, the non-Jews, right, have the potential to become believers. Again, we're preaching the word of God to all, not just select groups. And so it's kind of a funny little joke that... Since the, Israel, uh, the, the tribes of Israel, are, um, they believe themselves to be the chosen people, just in the idea that they carry this teaching and, and they make sure that it has survived. To see another group 
right? Non, um, non-tribal group, people they might have called unworthy. That uh, not only is God saying that I will teach them because they have the ability to understand and believe, but they might even have the potential to be better believers than the Jews. And that will make them jealous. And that might provide them a burden to be more um, devout, more committed, more confident. Right? It says, I am now speaking to you Gentiles. Oh, sorry. Jumped ahead. But if the rest of the world's people were helped so much by Israel's sin and loss, they will be helped even more by their full return. I am now speaking to you Gentiles, and as long as I am an apostle to you, I will take pride in my work. I hope in this way to make some of my own people jealous enough to be saved. When Israel rejected God, the rest of the people in the world were able to turn to him. So when God makes friends with Israel, it will be like bringing the dead back to life. If part of a batch of dough is made holy by being offered to God, then all of the dough is holy. If the roots of a tree are holy, the rest of the tree is holy too. You Gentiles are like branches of a wild olive tree that were made to be part of a cultivated olive tree. You have taken the place of some branches that were cut away from it. And because of this, you enjoy the blessings that come from being part of that cultivated tree. But don't think you are better than the branches that were cut away. Just remember that you are not supporting the roots of that tree. Its roots are supporting you. Remember, at the basis of this uh, teaching is um, we're just part. This is the kenosis, right? That uh, the roots of the tree are supporting you, but it's also the koinonia. It's uh, Indra's net. It's the uh, the idea of uh, an upside-down tree that we are, you know, uh, separated, but connected. And it goes on. Maybe you think these branches were cut away so that you could be put in their place. right? Do you feel special? That's true enough. But they were cut away because they did not have faith. And you are where you are because you do have faith. So don't be proud, but be afraid. Again, afraid, the idea is um, um, just be wary and not... Uh, prideful, um, ignorant, or even hateful, uh, but just have some doubt. Am I being properly faithful? Am I being too, uh, you know, human? <laughs> and it goes on. If God cut away those natural branches, couldn't he do the same to you? Right. And again, this is not a smiting. This is be afraid of how alone you would be if you turn your back on God and you lose that connection, right? Because we can go to the Emerson and understand that there is no separation between the self and God in the sense that if you choose to turn your back on what you know is right, then you have disconnected yourself. That's not something God has done. He's given you the free will to choose whether or not to stay connected to this understanding of selflessness, yada, yada, yada. So this goes on. 
Now you see both how kind and how hard God can be. He was hard on those who fell, but he was kind to you. And he will keep on being kind to you if you keep on trusting in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut away too. Again, reiterates this idea that he's, he's gentle to those who know not. Well, they just, you know, they're not believers, so they don't know. How could they be chastised for not knowing any better? But he is hard on those who know better and still choose to transgress. Not just against the word of God. What is the word of God? Is to not transgress against your fellow human. Right? So if you start acting selfish, egotistical, right? Or even fearful in a sense, right? You disconnect yourself from that source. And that's what they're trying to teach you here. And I wouldn't mind. Now you see both how kind and how hard God can be. He was hard on those who fell, right? Fell from this teaching. But he was kind to you, kind to those who are faithful. And he will keep on being kind to you if you keep on trusting in his kindness. This is not, this is not worshiping of God. This is talking about that... Um, well, essentially the idea of karma, that you will have less trouble, less suffering. Life will be less difficult by trusting in this truth of kindness, this truth of kenosis, that to empty oneself uh, of your selfishness, your egoism, your, your, all of your negative, like Nietzsche's man must be overcome. And you fill yourself with this template, this this moonshot goal of becoming better than oneself, this archetype of the hero, of the Bodhisattva, of the Buddha, of Dizong, of Avilokiteswara, uh, of um, uh, Guanyin, of uh, Jesus, of Muhammad, of Abraham, of uh, you name it, Zoaster, um, Ahura Mazda. Right? Fill yourself with this template, kenosis, of goodness, of betterness, to, to overcome. That's the teaching here. Right? He will keep on being kind to you if you keep on trusting in his kindness. This is, this is the teaching of Buddhism, like I said. Right? Life will be less troublesome if you just trust that you know, compassion can guide and the final line is, otherwise, you will be cut away too. Again, not cut away permanently. You can always turn back. The idea is when you sever that line to the source that is sucker, right? That is peace. That is a reduction in suffering. And that is acceptance of suffering. However you come to it, you cut yourself off from that source. And it goes on. If those other branches will start having faith, they will be made part of that tree again, right? These ones that were cut away, always allowed back into the fold. God has the power to put them back. After all, it wasn't natural for branches to be cut from a wild olive tree and to be made part of a cultivated olive tree. And talking about our natural tendency to negativity, maybe even cruelty, right? So it's not natural uh, for us uh, to be selfless, 
or even to yearn for things greater than oneself. And it goes on. So it is much more likely that God will join the natural branches back to the cultivated olive tree. Again, this idea that it's easier uh, to, uh, to keep a customer than it is to get a new one. Uh, but in this case, he's saying, well, it's actually uh, far easier to get uh, an old customer back than it is to get um, someone uh, to start shopping with you that's never heard of you before. This idea that um, once believers are much easier to uh, bring back into the fold. And it goes on and says, My friends, I don't want you Gentiles to be too proud of yourselves. Again, warning what happened to the Israelites. The, the chosen peoples got too proud, right? This Well, chosen people was probably a mistake, right? But neither here nor there. So I will explain the mystery of what has happened to the people of Israel. Some of them have become stubborn, and they will stay like that until the complete number of you Gentiles has come in. In this way, all of Israel will be saved, as the scriptures say, from Zion someone will come to rescue us. Then Jacob's descendants will stop being evil. This is what the Lord has promised to do when he forgives their sins. The people of Israel are treated as God's enemies so that the good news can come to you Gentiles. But they are still the chosen ones, and God loves them because of their famous ancestors. God doesn't take back the gifts he has given or forget about the people he has chosen. Again, reiterating this idea that there is no separation. It's in the Quran. The Quran opens that all believers in Abraham are believers. They're all the same people. This is people that are believers in truth and do good works followed by good works. So it's no different here. It's reminding us that the gifts that are given, meaning selflessness and compassion and all of these qualities that um, nurture our soul versus denature it, given, right? The, uh, the uh, story that uh, we're given free will so we can choose for ourselves to, to act, uh, right? Choose good over evil. And that there is no evil on earth that can be traced back to God. Evil itself allows us to choose good. Without it, we don't have free will. Without it, we're not choosing for oneself, which is the true agency. I've mentioned this before. If you, uh, if you teach a kid to ride a bike and they feel they do it themselves, it's much more, much more uh, of a wealth of knowledge, of, of wisdom and understanding, a confidence, as opposed to, um, you know, giving them too much help, making them feel like um, they didn't do it themselves. And it goes on, at one time you Gentiles rejected God, but now Israel has rejected God and you have been shown mercy. And because of the mercy shown to you, they will also be shown mercy. All people have disobeyed God. And that's why he treats them as prisoners. But he does this so that he can have mercy on all of them. A little bit odd there, but um, this idea of all people have disobeyed God, right? It's the idea we've all transgressed and we... But the idea of the prisoners is a little problematic there, but it's the idea that we are, it's just like Buddhism. We're trapped in this cycle of birth and death and rebirth, right? So that's this idea of a prisoner. We're a prisoner of our own 
suffering because of our ego and all that jazz. Right? And it goes on, who can measure the wealth and wisdom and knowledge of God? Who can understand his decisions or explain what he does? I love that first line. Who can measure the wealth and wisdom and knowledge of God? In Latin and Greek, they could all be uh, synonyms, right? What is wealth but wisdom? What is wisdom but knowledge, right? Has anyone known the thoughts of the Lord or given him advice? Has anyone loaned something to the Lord that must be repaid? Everything comes from the Lord. All things were made because of him and will return to him. Praise the Lord forever. Amen. Right? So that's the end. But as I said, you could go back through and change any reference to God, to Buddha or, you know, Shiva. And the, uh, the same story, uh, the same message comes out, right? Everything comes from the Lord. Everything is uh, because of Shakti. Uh, everything uh, is mind-born, Chittamatra, right? Uh, our experience is our perception. There's no difference. That's what I've said over and over again. I had to go far from home before I came home again, uh, learning Sanskrit to get these same messages I could find in Emerson or the Bible, or Camus, or Voltaire, uh, even Tolstoy, I hear, uh, was influenced by Emerson. So these, these uh, truths, um, what, what did Lincoln say? These truths are self-evident, right? Talking about how Emerson uh, explained that... Um, the only reason why we don't see providence in our everyday life or we don't see the divinity of everything, that there is, there is a source to everything. It doesn't have to be a, 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 you know, a, a theist perspective. It can simply be this wonderful system, this wonderful, um, what would you call it? Um, well, Emerson just said it's, it's in nature that we get reminded of the providence of ourselves and uh, everything that surrounds us. So the idea of the koinonia again, that um, they call it a prison, and yet it's the most well-appointed prison that one can imagine. It's only a prison because we choose that well-known meme where people choose to sit staring at the, the rock uh, wall rather than look out the window of a beautiful sunset. And they don't realize they're choosing to limit their potential, right? I don't know, that was a rough one, but there you go. I thought I would just share that. Um, it was, like I said, based on the idea that um, if uh, if you are... Uh, of understanding. If you know what to be, uh, if you know what's good, what's wrong, what's best, and you still transgress, you still turn your back on what you know to be true or right or best or helpful, then that is far worse than those that don't understand the difference. And turning your back, you're turning your back on yourself, you're turning your back on others, and worse yet, you're turning your back on your faith. I've mentioned this before. Faith is not 
what many consider. It's simply your, your confidence and your devotion uh, and, and your commitment to whatever path you follow. And that's why uh, Emerson left the church, because he felt, why do I need to go to a brick and mortar uh, to, uh, to appreciate uh, God? Right? Same with Nietzsche. He felt that they turned their backs, they had turned their backs on the morality of these gods, never mind these gods. So he wrote himself uh, a new Bible, in the sense that, to remind us once again that everything comes from the Lord. So if that's true, then divinity is found in the individual. And so society, the future, potential, everything rests on individual choice. So we can't chastise people, as Nietzsche said. We have to thank them for their transgression, right? As this Bible passage points out, right? We can thank God's chosen people because their lack of faith, temporary, obviously, or not, their lack of faith in the teaching actually brought more believers, liberated more souls in their, you know, verbiage. So the idea here is like the Tibetans who wrote um, a prophecy that there may come a time when um, the land of Tibet would be invaded and all of the people would be cast to the, you know, the four corners of the earth. But they didn't see that as terrible, the fact that they would lose their country and all them people would be spread. They considered it a wonderful opportunity to spread the Dharma of Nirvana, right? But enough for that. Have a wonderful day.